0: Hi, welcome to Here to Then, hosted by Carolyn Takeda, former attorney, current
1: small groups pastor, and life coach. Through monthly conversations with pastors, authors, and guests, we hope to stir your thoughts and encourage you to move from where you are to where you want to be in your personal life, in your leadership, or in your ministry. Well, we have a special broadcast taped today from the Small Group Network Lobby Gathering in March, where our guest, Carl George, was a keynote speaker, and it was such a great opportunity to sit down with Carl and talk about the future of small groups ministry and what he sees, um, and kind of maybe make some predictions or just give us his assessment about what he sees in um, the ministry world of groups. And so for those who do not know Carl George, and maybe a handful of people who haven't heard, um, he's an internationally recognized church consultant. He's helped congregations and leaders in over 100 denominations all over the world to increase their effectiveness. He's an experienced pastor and the Church Growth Institute director and the author of uh, many books. In fact, how many books have you written, Carl? Do you know? Half a dozen half a dozen books. Um, and he's guided small group ministry design. He's one of the pioneers of the small groups ministry in Northern California, uh, North, Northern America, as well as California. Um, and so he's been so influential and we've had him um, as a friend of the small group network. And I know you've mentored um, Steve Bladen, who's one of our founders. And so thank you so much for making the time to sit down with us and share some of your thoughts
0: glad to be with you. Thank you.
1: Okay, so you've been around small groups ministry for decades. Yes. 50, de- 50 Since years?
0: Since the 1960s.
1: Okay, so you've seen a lot of trends come and go.
0: I was a, a pastor in a new church that we had organized in Gainesville, Florida okay. in the 1960s, and we reached a point where... Um, we felt like small groups was the thing to do. It was Lyman Coleman.
1: Oh, another pioneer of small groups yes. movement.
0: He was his, his material on uh, small groups, especially for youth, mm-hmm. and his uh, excellence in creating materials, uh, mostly icebreakers and mm-hmm. games of this kind, uh, really set us on the path toward understanding and using small groups. And uh, as I uh, was in the church there in in uh, in Florida. Uh, w- we were developing in, in a number of different ways, uh, not all of which we understood, but the church was growing. We had a Christian school and, mm-hmm. and, a, and a church, and we were We'd captured the headlines. The The newspaper in the area had gotten fascinated with us and mm. what we were doing. And so um, we were growing. But I was increasingly aware of challenges and problems mm. that I didn't know quite how to deal with. And, and they had to do with something social that I couldn't put my finger on, having to do with uh, who can you get to grow with whom uh, most beneficially. Mm. So uh, – we, we finally reached a point where I, I knew we were in crisis mode. I, I'd been receiving some mailings from uh, from Lyman Coleman, some of the <laughs> experimental work he was doing at the very beginning of his small group all life. Right. And I hadn't met the, uh, the Faith at Work people at all, Bruce Larson and that bunch out from the mm-hmm. West, West Coast. But uh, uh, one day I tried to get my parishioners to share prayer requests with one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I thought that would be a great thing to do. So I had everybody on their feet and they were all greeting each other and talking to each other the way you do in what people do when they pass the peace in a Mm -hmm. congregation. They're just chatting with each other, trying to make them feel at ease. And uh, as asking them for uh, an exchange of prayer requests and concerns so Mm -hmm. they could pray for one another. Sure. I looked down on the front row and realized that what I had done was I had placed two very unlike people. (laughs) into this assignment okay one of which was a blue blood doctor dentist's wife whose assignment for the week was to redecorate their family room for a special tea mm-hmm. that uh, her husband's friends wanted in their golf course home okay okay A a lovely, beautiful, talent. So
1: specific, but okay.
0: (laughs) Very specific lady, but I mean, an elegant person Mm -hmm. and and a wonderful Christian and so forth. And sitting next to her was another person who was also a sincere believer, but was a very, very humble person Mm -hmm. who uh, had uh, children who were marginal in terms of their their talents and mental abilities, who worked as a minimum wage worker at a state-run home for the handicapped to mm-hmm. mentally handicapped people and who walked to work they were so okay. impoverished and and her main challenge each day was to get home uh, after the children got home, before her live-in spouse got home, because she didn't want him molesting the children. So oh, wow. so on the one hand, we have wow. the elegant in our society. And the
1: privileged,
0: yeah. And privileged. And on the other hand, yeah. we have a woman who is, is barely hanging on to yes. sanity, yes. struggling against odds for which she did not have the means or the resources mm-hmm. or the tools. And I had just put them together, <laughs> telling them that they should be sharing their prayer requests. One is trying to stay within a $20 a yard budget for installing <laughs> a carpet in a, in a room that already was carpeted. And the other one doesn't even have uh, yes. uh, the means to get sure. to her home from her work. Yes, And the miles between them was so great. Mm. And I went home that night saying, dear Lord, there has got to be a way to bring people together in such a way that they're not mystified by the existence of each other. Now, there are people who are celebrate this diversity across this wide gap, but I have enough knowledge of how people behave toward each other to know that was just a really bad idea on my part to try to mix those two types of people. And I sat down and I said, God, there has got to be a better way. We have got to allow people to group and cluster in such a way that they're at least within reach of each other. There. And and I, I prayed, and I put pencil to paper, and I I struggled, and I said I I don't know how to do this. I've never seen this done. And then it occurred to me that if I would select a a range of personalities Mm -hmm. from across our congregation and ask them to accept leadership responsibility for home groups, Mm -hmm. each one could have a home group that they would gather together, and those people would be close enough to one another that they could have a one another life, living together, life together.
1: So this part of your, the nine, this is when you came up with the nine keys. Well, book. That,
0: that, the nine keys was the end of all that. If I'd had the nine keys to begin with, it would have been easy.
1: <laughs> you wouldn't, but, have, you but wouldn't
0: We yes. were struggling. So I said, "How do we sort this thing out?" And I'm praying. And I, I remember that that from my youth camp days, I had figured out how to get social types that were compatible together. I had, I had driven a busload of kids to camp when I was a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And I was also a camp director for our state association. And so I, I had each summer from all over our state busloads of kids would come together and we would organize them in our summer camps. But one day I got into a problem where I had a busload of children and I had the bus driver and myself with the only adults, everybody else else (laughs) in the last hour. (laughs) Normally, you know, we line up and all the volunteers are there. And and when we got to the end of the day, we had a busload of kids. We were meeting a whole state full of kids and we had no adults. (laughs) And in those days, I, I didn't know enough to call for help or to Cancel the dent or right, anything right. else. We just went ahead, and I prayed the whole way to camp, saying, "Dear Lord, what am I going to do?" <laughs> well, when I got to camp, I, I devised a system where we—I laid out the the natural leaders in the camp, the mm. kids that I knew that I knew could lead, and yes. I assigned one of them as a as a cabin leader, and I put their names at the head of a piece of paper, and I laid them all out on a long, and I told the kids to go sign up under the leader that they wanted to sign up under. Wow, and so okay. the kids did it. Mm-hmm. And I only had one question about it. And there was one girl that I questioned her, but I said, no, she's not spiritually mature enough. I don't want to trust her. I don't <laughs> want to honor her. Uh, she is just, she's trouble, but uh, I, I'll put all the other natural leaders I put down. And, and so we staffed the camp with kids
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the others signed up under them. And it It worked beautifully. Mm. Everybody still until Thursday morning when chapel time came and one cabin was missing. Uh oh. (laughs) And the cabin that was missing contained a girl who had strong leadership skills but was truly non spiritual.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: And she had led her cabin in their nightgowns out into the swamp. Uh, snakes and all, alligators and all, led them out into the swamp to a dredging area where muck had been brought up and piled. And they slipped and slid, and they were covered with black mud (laughs) from head to toe, giggling and screaming and having fun. And we finally retrieved them and brought them down. And I said to her, I said, what have you done? And she looked at me defiantly, and she said, you didn't trust me with leadership, did you? (laughs) And I thought, oh, oh. And then I learned that leadership has strength and we better tap it in some way.
1: Otherwise, it's going to come back and bite you.
0: <laughs> it's going to demonstrate itself. And I said to her, no, that's a mistake I'm not going to make again. You're a leader now. Let's go. And I couldn't discipline her. I couldn't send them home. There's no <laughs> facilities for doing so. So I, went, I promoted her. And she fell in line and she grew more spiritually in that next two days than she had all week or that I'd seen her mm-hmm. do for a year. And, but but the, the fact that those kids lined up, they self-aligned to leaders, and the the leaders accepted empowerment because they knew who they were. So I sat down and decided, I've got to do this for my whole church. And so I I laid out the dozen people in the church. In those days, I conceived basically of the men doing that, but I I named 12 men. I got up and preached a sermon the following week. And this shows you how God helps people who who don't have (laughs) enough sense to help themselves. But I, I got up a sermon and I, I, I said, This this is what I believe that the Lord is calling us to do and to ask you to do. And if you're willing to accept training for being a small group, will you please come forward? The men that I had on that piece of paper, to a man, came to the front. Oh wow. And allowed me to pray for them and commission them. And then from that point on I met with them on, on a Wednesday mm-hmm. night and trained them in small group process and they turned around and led their small group and it was it was the most amazing amazing piece that came to that church and i only had one family that did not fall within that process
1: wow
0: one family and I asked everybody in the church, all the families in the church, to name who they would like to meet with mm-hmm. in the same way kind of it at a camp with yes. the sign-up sheets. Yes. And everybody named. It all worked, except for really? one family. Yeah. And I said, well, no, that won't work. Well, put them over here. I said. <laughs> and they're the only family that didn't stick. They came uh-huh. to me and said, this isn't going to work for us. We have to go so-and-so. So mm-hmm. I, I moved and I thought, you know, people really do pick out who they're willing to follow. That's and they're true. willing to work
1: with. Well, that's interesting. I mean, as a side note, but a lot of our processes, we place people. We and try we, to. Yeah, we try to, and I know some people have a hybrid where you know, you can select online, or you know we have all these methods. But at the end of the day, there is something to be said for chemistry. Um, and how just God somehow knits groups together. Sometimes the leader's not even all that great, but somehow the group gels in, a, in like a remarkable way. And other times I think these people should all love each other and they just don't ever gel. It, there's something to that process that it's really not about what we do and control.
0: I, I, I believe that personal preference and God are both involved in that yeah. mixture. Yeah. And if we can if we can figure out ways, and that led us to speed dating for selecting small yes, groups. Yes,
1: we did that for a while, too, yeah, back yeah, in the just, 80s.
0: It, all kinds of ways. Uh, but but the, the, the key is you have to find some way of getting people that will have a chemistry with one another so that they want to learn together, and so they want mm-hmm. to pray together. And if you can figure out what that is, and you have to keep experimenting in some cases until you can find it.
1: But what about you know, people that are just difficult, that are not just... Nobody wants necessarily to have them in their group because there's so much work or they're needy or um, they're just socially awkward.
0: Yes, there are. There are people who are really requiring of extra care. Yes, there are.
1: And we as a church, I mean, we're called to care for them.
0: Yeah, we're called to care for them. But but what we don't understand is they they recognize that they need care Mm -hmm. uh, and even demand it. But we are reluctant to provide the degree of direction that they need. Sometimes we we say, well, no, no, I, I really shouldn't be telling them what to do or whatever. But if you don't, then the group uh, will literally de- destruct. Yes. It will, it will come yes. apart. I remember one special uh, problem. Uh, they had a, a woman in a church. It was a middle-class church. And, and and one woman would show up for the meetings, and she had terrible, terrible hygiene. Uh, her, her, her body odor was just unbearable, and you couldn't stay in the room with her. The, the people couldn't. And... They were so polite and they were trying to figure out nice ways to hint and ask about how the plumbing of her house was working and all this <laughs> indirect stuff. And, and I said, uh, you know, they, they came to me and they said, What, what do we do? This, it's going to destroy our group because if she's there, we're just miserable. I said, Well, you've got to tell her to take a bath. Well, we can't do that. Because
1: I seem so rude you to, yeah, to say that. Yeah, it seems
0: so impolite. Yeah. And I said, do, do you consider the? Do you think that she's aware of her problem? you know it's entirely possible that she cannot smell she smells because she cannot right, smell right, right. and i said why don't you why don't you take her aside take one of you and take her aside and say here's what we must do we need for you to do this and shepherd her did they do it? Reparent her. That was the only way they saved the group, yes. They did. But the, 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 the reality was they had to overcome their own yeah. conditioning, their own social conditioning as to what was polite and acceptable. Yes. And, and other people require more direction. Uh, there are people who cannot keep their mouth shut in groups, and you have to, as a group leader, mm-hmm. take them aside and say, I really need your help in managing this group. Mm-hmm. And what I need most of all for you to do is to limit the amount of time you speak during the group time. Mm-hmm and I need to give you a hint. So I want you to sit next to me, and when I tap you on the knee, mm-hmm. I want you to know that's enough now, and you need to be quiet and listen to the others. And you mm-hmm. say, why would we ever do that? That would be so embarrassing to me. <laughs> yes, but if you don't, they won't have a place, and their sense of insecurity is going to be increased because nobody's going right, to be around right. them and withdraw from them. Right. And you say, but can I take that kind of an assertive step? Well, as a group leader, you must, mm-hmm. if you want to have a, an effective in, uh, a group.
1: I mean, the, see, some of the stuff doesn't change. That was true, you know, back in it the 60s. Changed. It's So that kind of stuff. And if anything, like I think yeah. we've gotten better maybe about some of the skill side to it. Um, and small groups are more popular now than they've ever been, it appears. I mean, that's kind of the trends we're seeing. Do you notice that, Carl, that it seems to be churches are more and more buying in across denominations, even across the look. world, to small groups ministry as being a vital part of doing doing life and community?
0: Look, look at Look at the... Big trends, okay? The very big trends. Mm-hmm. Now, in America, our memory of history and trends is not, not very long. <laughs> not
1: okay. True. we're a young country. Uh,
0: it, well, a young country, and we've had successful Sunday schools that have led us to understanding the benefit of grouping people in smaller groups. And now we're having successful small groups. And there are some denominations who have declared our Sunday schools, in fact, are small groups. Yes, they converted on, them. They're yes. on-premises small groups. <laughs> yes. They've relabeled. This their, is
1: so true, yes. They have uh, relabeled. Sunday
0: school. Uh, but the the truth is, those Sunday school groups and classes, many of them functioned mm-hmm. in a small group manner. In a relational
1: of, way, yes. A
0: very mm-hmm. relational way. And so that was that was an advantageous. But See, what, what we don't seem to remember is that before the Sunday school, as dominated by Southern Baptists, mm-hmm. who have the largest denomination that does this kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, before that, there were the Methodists. Mm. Okay, the Methodists had what Baptists called cottage prayer meetings. The Methodists called them uh, circles, mm-hmm. and, and they would they would meet in small groups following the pattern of John Wesley mm-hmm. in England prior right, to that, right. all right? Many of these small groups, the Methodist small groups, you would call them charismatic prayer circles. But they and as Methodism fell to uh, apostasy and into modernism, uh, mm-hmm. then the most visible survivor of that era were the Southern Baptist Sunday Schools. Okay. But the Sunday schools became calcified over time, and, and they limited the, the close grading system limited a, a church to a, about a thousand people if you followed the close grading yes. system to its its apex, and uh, and so the small group movement came along. And operated in contradiction and in competition with the Sunday schools until the pastors began to get the word that the Sunday school was a small group, mm-hmm. and then they said, "Okay, well, we do have," some. and so they put, they buried the, the hatchet. Uh, it was, but it was a clash of methods. Mm-hmm. But the essence of it was life together. Yes. And getting in a place where we can talk frankly to one another. But if you take the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Go back to Wesley. Well, where did the Wesleyan tradition thrive and persist? Okay, it thrived in the Sunday school movement, and it thrived mm-hmm. in the American scene in the Methodist Church, and then in the Baptist Church, from which all the other churches kind of took their cue. But there's there's something more going on. Cho, Korean, yes, Seoul,
1: the cell group, 60s, screen, right? the cell
0: group system. Cho said that his heroes were Luther and. Wesley, mm. and he insisted that his inspiration for justifying the cell system came from Wesley. Now, if there's some footnotes on the Cho story, it, it's not entirely John Wesley. Mm. John Wesley gets intellectual credit for it, but Cho's mother-in-law actually probably <laughs> is a bigger part of all that.
1: Well, does not get the credit. <laughs> well,
0: she 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 does. She gets the credit in, in another way, but not in a way that you'd explain. You see, the the, the cell system in the Cho Church is, I understand the genesis of it. Uh, really began in response to Cho's own physical weakness when he was sick and could not minister. Mm. He, he took his church to, what, 10,000 people or something and, and basically burned out physically, mm. just collapsed physically. And so while he's collapsed, his, his uh, mother-in-law keeps the thing going by means of commissioning these small group leaders. And here's the genius of Cho. He recognized that what she had done and was doing was worthwhile Mm -hmm. and could be
1: multiplied yeah
0: multiplied across the range of people that he was touching Mm -hmm. and so when he got back to being well he didn't cancel what she did he amplified it and he took it from there and during the 60s and 70s we watched that church grow to hundreds of thousands of people based on tens of thousands of small group uh, leaders that he then sent staff to support in the Mm -hmm. field and it was amazing what they would do they would those those people would go ahead hire a pastor to be to be a small group uh, encourager, mm-hmm. and that pastor would have 50 groups to look out for, and he would go out he or she would go out into the field eight or ten hours a day. They'd meet at, at church mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. prayer and for morning devotions, and then they'd they'd leave mid morning, and they were out till dark. Uh, And going alongside of the small group leaders out in the field, praying with them and helping them. They didn't attend many of the small group meetings, as I understand it, but they certainly were in touch hand-holding the various small group leaders wherever they were found. And that model for encouraging small group leaders still persists in effective places. Where you you have someone who looks out for a small group leader is not left to himself or right. herself,
1: and the network is so bought into that idea, and that's the whole idea is that you have to keep equipping the leaders um, and sh- and pouring into them so that they can pour into their their people.
0: That's exactly right. That's it, exactly so. Right.
1: That piece hasn't changed. But, but um,
0: take it take it a step further. Let's take a w- even bigger look. Okay. Instead of going from Wesley to Cho, okay. Okay. Go from. The early church, with no worship facilities, Mm -hmm. home-based group house house churches, and follow that all the way to what looks like the next emergence of the small group movement and the church. Okay, Mm, okay. Talk about the past. How how did for three centuries, while operating under waves of persecution that were serious, seriously persecuting. I mean, like killing. Like there are, what, 10 waves of documented Roman Empire attacks on Christians that resulted in tens of thousands of Christians being murdered for their faith? Mm -hmm. All right. Go from there down to what's happened in China Mm -hmm. in terms of the viral nature of the house church in China, Mm -hmm. accompanied by miracles more than many of us are comfortable with or have been (laughs) comfortable with. But but the, the story of the Chinese house church, is a church under persecution by its mm-hmm. government, where people who have faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, travel from their places of business to a neighboring village, find a sick person, pray for them, see them physically healed. The family gets converted around that. A small gathering <laughs> comes around that. Another house church is formed. Mm-hmm. From that house church, Morris people Center. go right. to the. And it, it becomes a viral thing right. that you can't account for unless you have some awareness that the Holy Spirit's work, and some awareness that you don't have to have an institutional steeple in church and bell sure. in order to have vital Christianity. Right. Right. All right, so what's what's happened in China is, is kind of being rebirthed worldwide as I'm watching mm-hmm. it. I came across a fellow who had been to a place off of China, and in 20 years time, the absence of a Christian witness was transformed into several hundred thousand Christians based on a kind of a house church model where there were no ordained mm-hmm. clergy, there were no training schools uh, that, in the fashion that you and I would say a right, credential degree and right. so forth. They, they saw this enormous multiplication of the church over a period of time. and. That kind of viral church planting is now uh, coming on again all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently I was with uh, Stephen Lutz from Ladysmith, uh, South Africa, mm-hmm. a Baptist pastor, Afrikaner, uh, converted in the Dutch church, but became a pastor ordained by the Baptist. And f- between 1997 or so and about 2007, he worked out a way of combining evangelistic efforts with the training of small group leaders or pastors, and they put in place a couple of hundred small churches, home group groups. And the, and the leaders, the pastors of those churches are, are, are laymen. I mean, it's all bivocational. Mm. Nobody's paid per se, right. and right. they don't have buildings. Uh, they don't have uh, budgets for brick and mortar. Uh, but they do have a commission to share their faith with others. And then when those others are gathered together to make sure that a pastor undergoes training within that context of that group and and so the 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 movement is a movement of pastoral networking if you please uh, along with the commission for each group to multiply itself through new converts all right by the time he got to 2009 or so um, they were in four countries and had about 300 churches of this this, of this viral kind. kind right. Right? Uh, today they have more than 50,000 churches. Wow. They're operating in 30 countries. Wow. And their materials have been translated into different 30, 32 different languages. And the the materials are pastor training materials. That's amazing. Where they, they, it's, it's, as we sit here, as you and I sit here today, they'll organize another several churches. And so what am I
1: doing with my life, really?
0: <laughs> well, the, I, <laughs> That's I look, amazing. I look at what they have done and are doing. Yeah. And I say, well, why haven't we heard about it? Well, America's kinda of last. Uh mm. we're we're getting in on this late. And he's just come to this country in the last year to start. Do you think that would work here?
1: But Do you think it would work in the it U.S.? It is working.
0: It's it's working in dozens, if not now hundreds of places mm. in this country. And and it's it's the it's the next move of Christian faith mm. beyond brick and mortar churches and beyond the branch churches that you and I are more familiar with, right. or the mega churches, we're right. the, these are these are going to be networks of micro churches hmm. as opposed to mega churches or branch churches. And w- what I'm watching is based on basically two things: evangelism and the hmm. training of the pastoral leader to be able to teach the word. And, and those those two fundamentals: mm-hmm. reaching new people with the gospel, gathering them together and making sure they have a leader that is being continually trained. That's where the future of the small group is going to be.
1: What do you think we in the brick-and-mortar churches, and so most of our listeners are in, what can we learn from that, or how can we be part of
0: well, don't, don't, that don't kind don't of
1: viral we, movement?
0: Yeah, how can we? Well, that's a good question. Don't oppose it, for one thing. Okay. Recognize yes. it for what it is. Sure. It's not us.
1: Well, it's a movement of the Holy Spirit. It's clearly...
0: <laughs> The idea that the Holy Spirit's going to get to run the church instead of us—it's
1: wow. a radical. <laughs> what a
0: concept! Wouldn't it be amazing? If so not how do we get out of the? the way? So how do
1: we get out of the way? How can we partner or help or? I...
0: Well, I think by not opposing it would be the first mm-hmm. step. Mm-hmm. By recognizing the fact that you don't have to have a brick and mortar existence, mm-hmm. but see, that's very threatening. You you bring that into a big box church that it depends. It's it's a. Uh, its uh, finances are dependent on people, seeing them as the warehouse, storehouse to which God.
1: The goods, and services come flow through.
0: Yeah, it, to, to recognize the fact that God might want a direct delivery system mm. is, is something else. And, and there will be networks of such churches, and those networks will be small group leader slash lay pastor mm-hmm led communities, and they will take all kinds of forms and in, be in all kinds of places. And the, the big concern is going to be, well, can they avoid heresy? Well, we can't avoid heresy in the mainline churches. I mean, <laughs> all of life. our seminaries have fallen apart and, and are life. untrustworthy. So the, the argument against heresy is a silly one. But I, I started questioning the fellows who'd come in, Curtis Sargent, some of the others come in from overseas. And I said, how do you keep orthodoxy going in mm-hmm. these churches, you know? And they said, you know, it's amazing, but because people are pointed back to the Bible constantly, mm. uh, they may get a little bit off track, but they don't stay off track very long. Mm. They get back because the Bible will carry them back to where they need to be.
1: Again, the Holy Spirit is remarkable.
0: You know, Speaking you keep, through His you Word. Keep, if you keep insisting the Holy Spirit has to <laughs> be involved in the growth of a church, you're going to sound just like those New Testament guys running around <laughs> saying, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and things like that.
1: But that's, I mean, that's so exciting. Like, I would just use it. And, and small groups. I guess when I look at small ministry, it it's it's so adaptable. Um, because the principles are so adaptable, whether it's a church of, you know, 50, whether it's a micro church, whether it's, you know, a big mega church, it's it really is so adaptable because it's about relationships at the end of the day.
0: The idea of allowing people to come together, yeah. to do their life together, to pray together, yes. to study the Bible together, to raise their kids together. And those are amazingly good ideas.
1: Uh, because they're from the Bible. <laughs> Okay, we're back to Acts. The whole
0: the whole history of the church.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean
0: from the first century until now. What we're seeing is a return to the first century form of church. Mm. And and it will endure past the persecutions to come.
1: That's and that's a good word. Gives us hope.
0: It, it gives us hope and it also humbles us a bit to realize that God's in the business and he's much smarter and better at it than we are.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for your time. Um, God bless you and your ministry. Thank you. Um, and thank you for listening. And um, please feel free to engage um, as you listen to this podcast on our Facebook group or any of our other social networks. Um, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Here to There, part of the Group Talk Network of podcast. If you like what you've heard, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more, make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com for more resources.